screen. <laughs> Good morning, family. I um. I uh. We are um, right now even reaching people in other countries. In fact, our last video, 7% of our views were watching it in India. So um, there's, there's such potential. But the only thing is, somehow, I don't know how they got a hold of it or, or, or know about us, you cannot find us by simply like, for instance, today we're going to be in Joshua 9. You cannot search Joshua 9 and actually find us for quite a while. We're the, we were last week 49th if you looked up Joshua 8, which most people won't go that far down before they click. And so, in fact, no one clicked by searching Joshua, 9, Joshua 8 last week. The only people that clicked, they searched by the name of our church or my name. And so, it really is hard to reach outside of those who already know who we are. But for those who are watching... This is a statistic that kind of interests me. 72% of our YouTube viewers are between the ages of 33 and 44. 72%. And then others, you know, watching from other age groups. But, and then 55% of our viewers are men and 45 are women. So the guys are clicking in more. Um, maybe that means they're not at church as much. I don't know if that's the reason. but <clears throat> And we have actually more viewers on, on our podcasts and, uh, and Facebook. Um, but this is a, a real opportunity for us. I really hesitated even going down this road and doing this. But I know there are people who watch. And, um, and so, you know, you might consider it. And you're hit, those of you who are here at church today, you're going, well, I don't even watch on on podcasts, I come to church, and that's our main goal, right? We really want as many people at church. Our goal is not to be an online church. We're to be a church that's online, okay? We're not an online church. Our goal is that we gather together, but because there are those who can't, and when you're out, and when you're watching, and then some of you might just click it on when you get home, and let it run the whole time, and hit like, and do that, and help us get higher on the, on the list. Um, you know, this is not, we're not going to be, this is not to be a social influencer. Um, we're a nonprofit, and the whole reason we're doing it is simply so that we can get the word of God out, we believe, the best way that we know how, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my message this morning is, actually it's for a limited group of people. It's really only, so, some of you can just totally tune out on this because it's actually only for people who sometime in their life, um, could look, you could look back at times in your life, decisions you've made or, or, situ- or, or wor- things you've spoken, and you've said this to yourself afterward. What was I thinking? Now, I know that's not very many people here who've ever been in that situation, right? What was I thinking? I don't... <laughs> And the reason I, I even think along those lines, because you cannot, I cannot tell you how many times I've said that to myself. What were you thinking, Rick? And yet, um, we all get into those places, and sometimes we make decisions that are, you know, they're minor, and sometimes they're major in our life. And this portion of scripture that we're at today is about um, a decision that was made that afterward they definitely were going, what were we thinking? Why did we do that? And God really is kind of warning us in this, in this story. And as we go through the book of Joshua, we're looking at, really, it's, um, it, it's, it's a military endeavor to take a piece of property that God promised to them that they could have. And we see how that relates in our own lives. Each of us have, in fact, um, had to make decisions to go forward in our life and hopefully with the intention of fulfilling or or abiding with uh, uh, the word of God, what God has said to us in our life. And if you're a Christian, you know that there's 
promises that God has given, and they've been given to you, and sometimes those promises that have been given need to be taken. So you take what God has already given, or you can leave it on the table and never actually take it at all. So today, we're looking again at the story, and they've just had a, a tremendous victory in AI after having a defeat by, because of um, a sin in the camp, and, uh, and that they didn't, they didn't talk to God first. And they made their own plan of military, you know, uh, their, their military plan and it wasn't successful. And so they hopefully learn from that and they're moving on. And now they're heading and, and, and the word has gotten out about what they're doing. I mean, it is well known that they've taken the city of Jericho and they've taken AI and the, the other people in the land are fully aware how God has delivered them and given them victory and they're afraid and so they're going to mount uh, you know a, a campaign against them and so Joshua chapter 9 verse 1 says and it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon the Hittite the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it. And they, and they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So there's a campaign. There's a, the enemy is collaborating an effort against them. And you do understand that. The, the, these principles apply to us because we have an enemy too. The enemy is not a person. The enemy is the enemy of our soul. And, and that Satan's kingdom, it collaborates against them, us. And as this, this, these armies are getting ready to collaborate against Israel, the armies are not the trouble. They're not the problem. Because the armies that are gathering together, the Israelites will see clearly. They know who their enemy is. See, there's an advantage when we are fully aware of who the enemy is and we are aware when the enemy is attacking. That is usually not the problem for a Christian. Most, most of the problems we have in our life are is when the enemy has collaborated against us and we can't see or recognize that he's actually coming against us. That's when we get in trouble. That's when he does the most damage in our life. When we're not aware, and there are a lot of Christians right now. In fact, in the, when we were praying before service, one of our prayers was um, in dealing with, there are people who have been damaged in their faith. And in fact, some, many people who have pulled away from church, and I'm not talking um, about our church. Our, I am our church is involved too. Many churches, all, churches around the country where people during this COVID time, the enemy was able, see it wasn't the COVID, it was what the enemy did to them, damaging their faith and causing them to live in fear and, and, uh, and anxiety in their life where it just kind of consumed them and they pulled away from the body of Christ and they pulled away from, from church and they pulled away from God and they didn't recognize the enemy's attack upon them. They didn't recognize that the, the attacks were coming at them spiritually. The words and the negativity that God, that, that, that God would have them fight against, they weren't able to fight because they didn't even know the enemy was attacking them. And now they find themselves with damaged faith and don't know how they got there and don't recognize it. Because see, when the enemy operates undercover, that's when he does the most damage. When he, it's up front, when what he's doing is recognized, this is definitely the devil. We can know this is the kingdom of darkness working. The church rises up and the church is able to defeat. See, we're more than overcomers. We really have what it takes. It's when he is subtle and deceptive that makes him, you know, the most dangerous. Verse 3 says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. 
and went to pretend to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. See, this was quite an effort. They're, they're really getting ready to deceive, you know, the children of Israel. They're really ready to, to um, put on a play. And, uh, but they're not, listen, they're, this is thought through. They're thinking through how they can deceive them and, in fact, and, and, and win a victory for themselves. They're operating out of fear. They know that they're coming to their land and they want to deceive them. Now listen, how that works in our lives is the enemy, he's not haphazard in his, his attempts toward us. He's well thought out. He puts in the effort. He wants to deceive us. This really is a battle. And, and if you don't recognize that, then you're in for being beat up over and over and over again if you don't understand spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. When you signed up, when you said yes to Jesus, the moment you did that, you said yes to Jesus, but you also said yes, I'm on Jesus' side, I'm on God's side, so you got, a different, you got an enemy to your soul to do everything to hinder you from getting and being fruitful in your life and experiencing all that God wants for you, you got an enemy to your soul. Now, the enemy is not, you know, the enemy can be defeated. In fact, you have all the weapons given to you so that you can win the battle, but you have to actually know that the battle's going on. You have to actually be aware of it. And if you're not aware of it, then he's going to take advantage. And that's what's going on here is they're working in a crafty manner. It says in verse 6, it says, and they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, far, far away. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. We've been traveling for so long, so long. You know, they're just a couple, you know, just down the road. But we've been traveling for so long. And, and, and the men said to the Hivites. Now, Hivites were, in fact, you know that first list of army? The Hivites are in that group. What, what, this, what, what these people were, this is a town or a city. The Gibeon, Gibeon was a town or a city of the Hivites. And the known enemy that God told the children of Israel, you're to go and destroy the enemies of the land. Now, the enemies of the land have... For hundreds of years, hundreds of years, lived in just utter rebellion and against the, the you know, the creator God. They have, they have been evil, immoral, and God has been patient with them and has come to the point where God has said, I want you to destroy the, the enemies. If, if they stay in the land, I want you to destroy them. Now, he gave them an option to leave. You know, they wouldn't, but, but he, he was going to destroy each and every one of them. And judgment had come, it come to the place where God was not going to give them any more time, any more grace. And so God had told them, go and destroy the enemy. And now this group has come along and they're, they're acting like they're not part of that group. And, it, and they said in verse 13, these wineskins which we filled were new. And see, they are worn, they're torn, they're, uh, and these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long, long, long journey that we've been on. The scripture tells us in John 10 that the only reason the enemy comes is to steal, to kill and to destroy. It, it, see, he does not come, it says, except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. When he's around, there's one goal. Well, 
And it comes in these three ways, steal, kill, and destroy. It's all about that. And, and so, the subtleness of this. Now, sometimes it says that, that in, like in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober. So, it tells us, be aware of the enemy. Be, be alert. Be sober. Don't, don't get your mind, you know, don't be, don't be drunk. Don't be... You know, don't be lost uh, without a sober mind because the, en- the, the your enemy is after you to steal, to kill, and destroy. It says be vi- vigilant, be alert, be ready because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He walks like a roaring lion. You know, lions roar to scare their enemy off. That's why they roar, to bring fear. Have you ever heard a lion roar? I mean, one time I heard a lion roar at the, uh, at the zoo. And I guess they don't do that much at the zoo. But it is, a lion's roar is, can be heard five miles away. They just have an ability. You know, God gave them that. I mean, they're, they've got, they, they've got uh, a set of lungs and, uh, and they, can, they can roar. Well, the enemy roars. And he's like a roaring lion. He's after to bring fear and intimidation. And it's not when he roars that, uh, that we're, you know, he, he's to be feared. Actually, when, when, uh, when the, a lion is going after a prey, he never roars. He never roars. Because he does not want the prey to know he's coming. He roars when he wants to bring fear. And that's why the scripture tells us that, listen, we, we, can, we can stand strong against the enemy. You know, that we're to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We're supposed to stand strong against that, that, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that the enemy cannot, you know, will tread on, you know, the, 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 the enemy in our life if we know he's coming. But then the scripture says in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So you need to be alert. And, first, and then 2 Thessalonians eleven three says this, because this is the most used, most effective tool that the enemy has against us. It says, but Paul is saying, but I fear that somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, as Eve was deceived, this is what I fear will happen to you. Listen, Jesus had that same concern. Over and over and over again, Jesus said, do not be deceived. That's one of the, the, the main warning Jesus gave to, to uh, us in the scriptures. When Jesus spoke was, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Be, especially in the last days, he said, don't be deceived. Why? Because deception was going to be our great enemy. It's going to be the great tool that the enemy is going to use against us and people will fall into it because they're not vigilant, because they're not aware, because they're not alert. And so suddenly he comes in and says, I'm from a far, far country, far, far. Colossians 2.8 says this, beware, beware. Everybody say beware. Beware, beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Beware, because there is a philosophy of this world. There's a deceit in this world, an empty deceit that is taught, that is perpetrated, uh, uh, you know, against the, the body of Christ, and it's a subtle way in which the enemy gets his values into our lives. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be alert to that. I was um, listening to Elizabeth, and I don't know if I got her last name right, Urbanowitz. 
It's, it's, see if you can pronounce it. U-R-B-A-N-O-W-I-C-Z is their last name. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm not going to give the whole thing because we're going to have her come and share. She, she, um, she has a ministry to helping children identify the philosophy of the world. It's really an apologetics for children. And she shares, this, she shares that there are seven things that your children, I'm, she's talking to Christians here, that your children probably believe. Unless you have, you have definitely made it a point to teach them contrary, your kids have gotten philosophy. In, they already have it. They already believe it. Because even if they watched cartoons or, or they were, you know, in, in, in a, 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 even, even a Christian sometimes, Christian classrooms, this philosophy has, become, has so permeated our culture that our kids have it. We have to teach them against it. And if we don't even know they have it, in fact, if we don't know, even know that we have it, we have the philosophy, we don't even know how to identify it. And she, she gave a few. I'm just going to give a couple because we are going to have her. And I don't want to spend the, the whole time. But for the, the, the first two, the first one is, she said, she talks about um, children asking the question, you know, about if, if, I, if I feel it, if, if I feel it, it must be true. This is, this is a philosophy that if I feel it, it must be true. That truth is subjective. Now, children wouldn't wouldn't say it that way. But the question that is asked is, is is the truth, is the truth, the truth for everybody? Is truth true for everybody? And so it's the difference between objective truth and subjective truth and the idea that what I feel or my subjective ideas is, is the same as objective truth. If I feel it's true, it feels good for me, um, you know, it's, it's the way I am. And, and so in my truth and your truth, you have your truth and I have my truth. Now kids don't identify it. She does a little trick, and she'll gather some of the children together, and she'll give them maps to a, she's hidden some candy in a specific place, and she'll give them maps to find the candy. The thing is, only one of the maps actually is a map to the candy, and all the others are fake maps that don't get you to find the candy. And then she asks, you know, when one kid finds the candy, she asks the kids, Why did this kid find the candy and this kid didn't? And the answer, of course, is my map was wrong. Oh, so you have to have the right map. There is objective truth. And and this is a philosophy that is in all of our culture. And the longer we wait to train our children truth the more the philosophy of the world gets in. So your truth is just as good as my truth. Is there an objective truth? Is there a real truth? And that's a philosophy that the world paints. And listen, if you... If, if the Bible and Christianity is true, it's not true for some people, it's true... Because it's true. It's true for everyone. So what the Bible says about morality and gender and sexuality and justice, if it's true, whether you believe or not does not determine whether it's true. Truth is truth. It's not subjective. It's subjective whether you believe it, but it's not subjective whether it's true or not. And so, if you believe in subjective truth, you can never live out your Christian life. 
because it will not be true. A question was asked um, for about, um, actually to Christians, those who identified as evangelical Christians, you would say Bible-believing Christians. They asked a group of young people, a good-sized group of young people, do you think that it's right for you to proselytize other people to the Christian faith? Do you think it's right for you to try to convert people to Christian faith? Now, these are so-called evangelical Christians. And the majority of them said, no, I don't believe that's right. Do you understand what evangelical is about? (laughs) It's about evangelizing. It was evangelical. That that we believe we have a truth, and it is the truth. It isn't isn't just our truth. It is the truth. And that if a person doesn't have this truth, that their destination is determined already according to the Scripture. And that of course we would want to change a person's mind. Of course we would try to evangelize them. Of course we would because we believe in the truth. But how, how, how contrary is that to our culture right now? That it, listen, that wasn't even an argument 100 years ago. Most of our, you know, most of our, our history, and I'm not just talking about America, most of history had the idea and understood the idea of, of uh, objective truth. And then the second thing, and this, uh, this is, I won't go any further in this, but the other one is the concept, follow your heart. You just follow your heart. You, how, many, how many have heard that? How many maybe have even said it? We tell people, hey, just follow your heart. Is that biblical? What an absolute disaster that can be <laughs> to follow your heart. You think, <laughs> I'm sorry, but your heart is not the most reliable guide for truth. It is not the most reliable guide. What drives your li- life? Your heart sensations are God's word. Our hearts are desperate. This is what Jeremiah says. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? Our hearts can be so deceptive. Our emotions can be so deceptive. I just wonder how many of your children believe that. Believe I should just follow my heart. Many of you could tell stories about how your heart deceived you. And you followed your heart and went, what was I thinking? All right? Now, they're getting ready and they're they're hearing this false, you know, they're being told a lie, a deception. They're being deceived, and they're asked to make a covenant with the Gibeonites that they would never attack them, and they would never, there would be a, a, a peace among them. And they're thinking they're far away. Listen to what Exodus 34. This is, they've already received the scriptures. Okay, this way. They've already received the word of God. Exodus 34, verse 12, Moses said this. Take heed to yourself. Does that sound familiar? Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. The Bible keeps saying that. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going. Lest it be a snare in your midst. If they would have only remembered what God said and followed it, they, wouldn't have not, they would not have made the mistake that they did that cost them. Listen, this is a principle in God's word. This is a principle for us as followers of Christ. That we, as we live out our life, we need to be aware there is a, a constant subtle deception that is all around us. 
And it's not to, it's not to ca- cause us to be, um, you know, intimidated. It's not to, to cause us to be, you know, constantly like, oh, how can I live out my life? It's not that kind of thing. It's just to be aware. Be aware. Be aware that there's philosophies, there's ideas, there's thought patterns, there's, there's the norm, which isn't really the biblical norm. And, and that if we're not aware of those things, it's so easy. The enemy comes in and he deceives people and we, we, that subtleness comes into our life. It comes into our thinking and our patterns and the decisions we make in our life are not according to God's word and there's consequences for that. So I want to ask you a simple question just to kind of filter as some of the things we've talked about. Where are, where's your family in its foundation belief system? Is it biblical? Or is it, well, is it the philosophy of the world? How much has gotten in to our lives? I guarantee the philosophy of the world has gotten into our lives. The question is how much? And the question is can we get it out when we can And what is the best way to get the philosophy of the world out of our life? It's constantly putting in the truth, the objective truth of God's word. if If you aren't constantly getting the objective truth to counter the subjective lie of the enemy, you're gonna, the kingdom of darkness, its philosophy will enter into your life. And decisions are made. Oftentimes it enters in and it so permeates people's lives that then when the crisis comes or the situation, like what we've just had, we have seen people that we thought were strong followers of Jesus no longer being followers of Jesus because they were attacked by a philosophy. They owned up, they, they, they determined to, to um, you know, buy into the philosophy of the world. And because of that, and some of that, because it was contrary to God's word, they rejected God's word. We would never think they had gone that far. They went that far in their life. The philosophy really did permeate their life. And when now the truth of God's word countered strongly, strong values that they had because of the philosophy of the world, They gave up the truth of God's word. And so, folks, it's important that we keep God's word in our lives. Verse 14, it says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. And then it makes this statement. Wonder why the Bible makes this statement. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They did. What? Didn't they already make that mistake before? Isn't that how they got, you know, what, 36, 37 people killed? How they lost the battle? Isn't that the problem they had before? They didn't seek counsel from the Lord? They're doing it again. When will they ever learn? I mean, they're just about as thick-headed as we are. How often we make decisions. And then we wonder, Lord, how did this happen to me? And God says, you didn't ask. A lot of people are making big decisions these days. You know? Big decisions. And I don't want to bring any disparaging on anybody who's made this decision. But there's, here's a decision that's going on. It's, it's happening really rapidly in a lot of people's lives and I only bring it up because it's happening so quickly. There are a lot of people going, I got to get out of California. I'm not even going to ask for hands for how many of you have said that. I got to get out of California. (laughs) When we see the culture, well, there's so many things going on. You know, I got to find a way out and and there are people making huge decisions without the counsel of the Lord. And people who are actually paying for it. I know that. For, I know that personally. I know that in people's lives. I know some people who have made a decision. I want out of California. I'm going to go. And they 
pick the, the state they think is the most conservative and they can, you know, live, think that that's going to give more freedom. And it might. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying that God wouldn't even tell you to do that. I believe that even the, some people have heard the counsel of the Lord and they moved and they made that decision. But I know there are a lot of people who made that decision only because they thought life would be easier and life would be better. And they made that choice without getting the counsel of the Lord. This is the, why you need the counsel of the Lord. God knows every detail of the future and you don't. I remember just moving. I, I remember we bought our first house. Story. You know, we got enough money to get a down payment on the house. We looked at several different houses, as you would imagine. There was one house all we fell in love with. It was just everything, the way it was laid out, the size, everything. It was pushing it a little bit as far as, you know, making payment. But we could see how we could do it. And we were figuring it all out. And we had, and we made, I was going to say, we made the mistake. It wasn't a mistake. To actually pray about it. And so we're getting, we had, it's kind of like, this, is, this must be God, right? This was, a, it was such a, better than all the other houses we had looked at. It seemed like everything was better. This must be the Lord. But we decided we're going to, we're not just going to do it. We're going to sleep on it. We're going to pray. We're going to see what God would speak to us. And, uh, and the Lord said no. The Lord told us not to do it. And it was kind of a disappointment. We really did feel it was God, but we wanted it. And we made it. And so that meant, we, you know, there was a process. We were looking for more. And I remember going, in fact, my dad was with me. And there was this house for sale. And we decided, we heard about it. We went. And, uh, and I remember we walked in the door. And I seriously just got into the entry. This house didn't really match the other house as far as, you know, it's what it had. But I walked in, and the moment I walked in, I felt the peace of God. And I, I remember turning to my dad, and I said, this is it. And he said, you haven't even looked at it. I said, I know, and, you know, we'll, we'll do all of that, I'm, I'm, but I'm just telling you what I feel. Walked in, we looked at it. What we ended up finding, the house was 15 years old, and there had never been anyone in the house that wasn't a pastor. The pastor was, the house had had three different owners before us. They were all pastors. And, and we sensed the presence of God. Well, what we also found out, and this is only looking, but you cannot know ahead of time. You only know in reverse. You look, look back. What we found is the location of our house put our family in a place where our children found some great friends, friends who were Christian, that helped them. And their relationships with some of their, their friends was, was one that was supportive of their Christian values. Their, their teachers, we, there was connection there. And as we look back at the story, we see that God placed us specifically in a place that was best beneficial for our family. We could not have known that. We could not have known that the house would have that kind of positivity to our family. And that, I don't know if we would have lived in that other house. I don't know what would have happened. I mean, God can make it work, right? But it wasn't where God wanted us. Now that's a simple illustration. But the point simply being, why do we make these decisions in our life without the counsel of the Lord? So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant, verse 15, with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So they made this covenant. They swore to them. And, um, and Israel Real, finds out later that they're duped. Verse 16, it says, So it happened at the end of three days after they had made the covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt nearby. Far, far, far away. Excuse me. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on, on the third day, and their cities were Gibeon, Shepherah, 
Beroth, uh, and Kerjath, and Jerem. But the children, children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. So the, the people are now complaining against the rulers again. But the rulers did right. The rulers said, we made a covenant. We're going to fulfill it. We made an oath. We swore to them. We're going to hold it. There's something to be said about fulfilling your vows. The scripture tells us to do that. Unless those vows that you made are contrary to God's word and his will, and if they are, then it's your responsibility to go before the person that you made that and, and, and acknowledge that you cannot keep that vow that you made with them because it's against what God's word says and because God has said no. But you will make it up to them in ways that you can you don't just break vows. When Jesus was very strong on this, he said, don't swear by heaven. You know, don't swear by the temple because people would do that. You know, I swear, like they, they'd go, you know, like your word is not, you can't count on it. But let me tell you, this time, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to swear by heaven. You know, or I swear on my, you know, mother's grave. People do that. You know, those kinds of things. And Jesus says, don't, don't even go down that road. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And let your word be, cons be considered true in all occasions. You never have to go beyond. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. That needs to be the way we operate in our life. Jesus has called us to live out our life in that kind of truthfulness. And so if we said we're, said we're going to do it, I, I'm going to, if you if you're said you're going to do it, do it. And but now they've made this oath. And Joshua and the children of Israel have to keep it. And the elders said that, you know, we're, this is what the, we've done. Um, verse 19, it says, all the, the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. In fact, there's, the story goes, and we'll learn about it later, but when they broke this, it costs the children of Israel. God judged the children of Israel when they broke this covenant down the road. And when they didn't, God blessed. And the leaders who said, listen, there's a covenant been made. I'm going to follow it. God blessed them for doing that. And that's true in our lives. We make decisions. Sometimes the decisions, we said we're going to do something. And something comes up, and it's more difficult for us to do it because we have so many other things. But we need to keep our word. We need to follow through. We need to be considered truthful. When people hear us, they need to believe that what we say is true. We need to build that kind of reputation. So, there was a penalty in verse 22, it says, Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are, we are very far from you when you dwell near to us? Now, therefore, you are, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, excuse me, and water carriers for the house uh, of my God. Now, it's not really much of a curse. They're going to serve in the house of the Lord. And by the way, you can't be slaves in Israel more than seven years anyhow. So, but that gig was actually a pretty good deal. We wouldn't think, I mean, whenever you say slavery, of course, you know, what we, can, what we think of is our early, uh, you know, the early stages of our, our nation. But that's not, that's a different kind of thing than what they're experiencing. There's a freedom in this kind of slavery. In fact, there's provision. They're going to serve in the temple. They're going to get served. They're going to get the same thing that the Jew, that the priests got. They didn't own land, but they got taken care of. See, and that's going to be their responsibility to serve. So their deception worked. You say, "Does God bless it?" Well, God will turn even bad things into good. 
and he does for the children of Israel when they, when, when they were deceived, but th- it did cost them. It cost them. And down the road, there's a payment that they pay as a consequence of, in fact, not praying, not getting the counsel of the Lord and making a decision that wasn't what God wanted for them. So I guess here's the message for all of us, for the very few of us who have looked back and said, what was I thinking? For any of you who might have been in that category, the next time, how about getting the counsel of the Lord? Say, I I don't even hear God sometimes. That doesn't stop you from saying, Lord, is this the right decision? Just stop. Let God, if you're willing to listen, put it on God to make sure you know. Put it on God. And there are big decisions I would never make without hearing from God. There are things that you don't have to say yes to. You see, you can keep doing because, you know, if you know especially that you're in the will of the Lord now, there's things that you can keep doing until you hear God tell you something different. But I think there's, you don't make huge decisions without hearing what God is saying. You don't make those kinds. You, you even don't make little decisions. It just seem like a small decision. This group of guys or people came from a far country. They came to us. They want to make a covenant. What's the big deal? Yeah, we'll make a covenant so we don't have to bother with you. You live in a far country. Well, that little decision became a big decision because they didn't listen to what God was saying. Let's get the counsel of the Lord in our life. Maybe you could turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you know what? We need to listen to the counsel of the Lord. Listen to the counsel of the Lord. What is God saying? Let's get advice from him. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, thank you. You are our counselor. And Lord, help us to be aware of the subtleness of deception. The the kingdom of of darkness working in darkness, working in ways that, Lord God, it isn't clear. It isn't isn't the lion's roar. It's the subtle deception of philosophy and lies and deception and fears. And, uh, Lord, in our life, that, Lord, they don't come from heaven. Only those good and perfect gifts come from you. So I pray, and Lord, anyone here or online who's, you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your moment. Today, right now, you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I ask you to cleanse my soul. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, that you were buried and you conquered death. And so today... I make the choice to choose you as my Savior and my Lord. So I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life. And I ask you to help me to follow you from now on. Because today I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you prayed it and meant it. Would you go on our website, ccanaheim.com, and let us know? We want to get you started. We have some things we want to send you and get you started in your walk with God. And it will really help you to walk with God. Okay? Are you ready to just close in worship? Let's lift our voices to the Lord.